Hey, thanks for stopping by. I want you to meet Assemblymember Carmen De La Rosa, candidate for District 10 of the New York City Council in 2021. Here's what we talked about. Thank you for taking the time to join me on the Gilded Cast. What music are you listening to right now? I have like a combination of music, to be honest with you. Like I'm Dominican and like, you know, and like me, I love the Wasombraso Bangs of the world. Um, he's actually one of my favorite artists. He's like, you know, a um, ballad singer. Um, so I love the romantic music. So I, I'm listening to a lot of that, a lot of Camila, a lot of Farruko. I love that style of music. Um, but also like with my husband and my daughter here, my daughter hears all types of new pop, Korean pop music. So I have that sprinkling of that and I've gotten into it a bit. And, and Jose, my husband, he listens to all this demo from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. So I have like a sprinkling of all of that in my in my playlist right now. So, you know, that, those are kind of some of the things that I listen to. Um, it really it really depends on my mood. It's a very eclectic playlist that you got there. Kind of reminds me of your district a little bit. I mean... I also served the council member of that district. And that's one of the things that we have in common um, and that we bonded over. I wanna take that, the richness of the community and talk about gentrification. And at the same time, the importance of developing housing is to the city and to the district um, and how, Rezonings are going to are important now, and they're a controversial topic as this cycle of city council closes. Um, it's going to remain a very important topic when you come into the city council um, after the new class of council members come in. So, tell me, how do you reconcile the importance of maintaining the diversity of the? of your district and the importance of developing housing there and across the city for the sake of those same people. Let me just start telling you a little bit about like the things that, that draw me into this work of anti-displacement. You know, I grew up in Washington Heights in Inwood, just a few blocks away actually of where I live right now in a building and an apartment that was rent stabilized. And my mother was a home health aide. My dad was a grocery store owner in the Bronx. Um, shortly after, when I was about eight or nine, my dad got ill and he had to stop working. And my mom was a sole breadwinner at that time. And, you know, making at that time seven, $8 an hour, right? We fell behind on rent. And so I remember, you know, receiving an eviction notice. I remember um, being uh, with my mom trying to get assistance for, in order for us to keep an apartment. And I, and I also remember a point before we moved into that apartment, we lived in the same building in a one bedroom um, down the hall. And the one bedroom, it was my mom, my dad, my brother and I in a one bedroom. When I turned about six or seven, we moved into this three bedroom apartment. And the quality of life changed when you have your own room and you have the ability to have your own room. And I remember like my mom working so hard for us to move into that three bedroom, understanding that the rent was gonna be much higher but that us as growing children needed our space and how much she valued that. So like, I think about those experiences when I think about anti-gentrification, like it's taken our community so much to get from a point of overcrowding to a point where we're 
comfortable somewhat, but there's still, you know, dilapidation. There's still um, negligence on the part of the landlord. There's still harassment tactics. And then I fast forward to being an adult and um, graduating from Fordham University and trying to find my first apartment, you know, to move out. I wanted to move out of my house. I'm like, I'm going to get my apartment. And mm -hmm. I found out that my name was blacklisted uh, because mm -hmm. of that eviction notice that my parents had had on their record when I was a child. And, you know, yeah, yeah I was a cool. child. Yeah. I was obviously on the lease because I was a tenant of that building, but my mom and I have the same name. So when I went to rent an apartment, um, in, I tried to rent an apartment in the Bronx, um, the, the landlord said, well, we see that you came up with an eviction notice. I said, that's not me. That's my mom. And they said, well, you have to prove to us that that's your mom. Right. So I called the landlord where my mother lives right. and the landlord really said to me on the phone, like, if you want, if you want to not be on a list, your parents should have paid their bills, you know? And mind you, I was like 21, 22, like that coldness, that like, I don't give a damn attitude, you know, like. I was a child when that happened, right. right? And here I am saying that I want to move on to the next chapter of my life. And I was blocked. I wasn't able to rent the apartment uh, because they would not take my name off this list of people that had been um, on the eviction notice. Mind you, we never even got the through with the full eviction. My mother was able to pull it together with the help of government. We weren't evicted, but because right. she had an eviction proceeding under her name, you know, it affected me. And that's mm -hmm. not a unique story, right? So many of our neighbors, so many of our peers mm -hmm. have gone through it. When I walked into a room, when I debate a bill on the on the floor of the assembly, uh, my my colleagues are you're always shaking your head. You're always like, mm -mm, that's not what's going to happen. And you're, they're always like, you're so uptown. And I feel like it's because growing up in Washington Heights and Inwood, like it's part of my identity. You have to learn how to fight for yourself, fend for yourself, fight for everybody around you and uplift them. Um, and that's how I see the fight for for um, stopping displacement and gentrification. Like we need to lock arms and fight for our people to continue to stay. And I've often talked about walking uptown and smelling the pastelitos, right? And the fried grease smell, or, you know, walking down Dykeman right. and seeing those restaurants that are emblematic of our community, which by the way, with COVID and everything that's happening, they were already underwater before COVID. COVID is gonna make a good portion of them disappear out of the map. Um, you and I were in similar positions because we both worked for the councilman of the 10th. Um, in, I think in the height of the rezoning, we were both there. How does that experience then educate um, how your outlook or inform your outlook on rezonings generally and how they should go moving forward? Like inward rezoning aside, you're gonna have to vote on a bunch of other ones that have nothing to do with inward. They're gonna be in completely different boroughs. How does that then inform how you move forward and, and judge how you your vote? One thing that I've developed for myself is a core set of values rooted in depth of affordability, um, extent to which community involvement and input is a part of the conversation. Um, union jobs, right? Union jobs, preserving union jobs. That was not something that was brought to the forefront and it has to happen. Ensuring that there is an, an, a meaningful racial impact study to make sure that we are looking at the displacement of racial groups. Um, environmental impact. We've also heard, you know, Inwood Legal Action is a group that formed. And one of their main concerns is that the environmental impact statement doesn't take into account 
things like infrastructure needs, things like school capacity, things like transportation needs. Um, it's and how can we take in a, a surge in capacity of of residents? So I think that all of those things are lessons that I've learned. Um, but most of all, I've learned that we're put in a position to represent our communities and the interests of our communities. One of the things that, as a new council member, is being discussed, um, as a new incoming council is being discussed on the campaign trail, is this idea of member deference. I think that when you have, you know, floods and floods of advocates that are coming out to these rezoning hearings saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, um, we need to pay attention to that too. Member deference um, is an obstacle sometimes to that, um, but we also know that the homelessness crisis is huge and that if we don't build um, anything, then where are our young professionals, for example, going to go? One of the things that I'm very interested in looking at is home ownership. A lot of the challenges you mentioned that the district is facing and the issue of rezoning kind of makes District 10 like a microcosm of a lot of, of, of the city. How, do, how does that inform your style or your priorities as a council member for the city? People think automatically, like New York State is a progressive state, but the reality is that the spectrum of Democrat to progressive Democrat to moderate Democrat in the whole entire state of New York, you see that, that spectrum of Democrat from the top to downstate, from upstate to downstate. Um, so I've kind of learned how to navigate in those waters um, from being um, part of the state assembly, right? When we uh, legislate in the state, we're legislating for the entire state. Um, and and many times I try to leave an impact in New York City in District 72, in the district that I'm that I'm representing. But reality is that if I pass, you know, legislation on how around housing or transportation or health, it impacts the whole state. So having a focused lens on my district, I think, will be a welcome um, change for me. The way that I see this is that yes, the world has changed. But one of the things that remains constant is that people want three things from their um, elected officials. The first thing is um, transparency and accountability. I think that my track record and the work that I've done, people know that I'm unapologetically me and that the things that I say with them and to them in a closed room are the same things that I go out and, and on the streets and fight for um, in front of the cameras. So having accountability and transparency from our elected officials, um, ensuring that we have elected officials that are unbought and uncorrupted by, you know, power and ambition is important. I think that's something that right now we're seeing that there's a clamoring for in our community. And lastly, people who are willing to listen and center the experiences of their constituencies, but also use the relationships that they've built um, to elevate those experiences. And I think that I'm uniquely qualified to do those things. Um, and, I, and, the, and that's really what I love to do is to bring people together in order to um, find solutions. So you, you grew up in Washington Heights. Um, like you're an uptown girl through and through. What did you do for fun growing up? I was on lockdown. <laughs> When I was growing up, my mom and my dad are super strict. Um, they are super Catholic um, and they put a lot of pressure on me. I, I, in my immediate home, I'm the oldest. So I, I was the example to Sarah. Um, I was part of a youth group growing up that was connected to the church. 
but it, it provided for me a lens of like what all the young people around in my community were dealing with. Um, I also was a dancer. I, um, I did ballet, I did flamenco. Um, for most of my childhood and teenage years, nice. I'm actually very good at dancing flamenco. That's something I didn't know. Um, sports were a big thing uptown and we would go to the playgrounds and watch the games. You know, I feel like I had a rich childhood, even though I know I was very, very, very um, locked into my home. But I know that, you know, at that time growing up in the 90s, it was a different community. The uptown girl you just described is now an assembly member and candidate for city council. What is she fighting for? I'm fighting to make sure that, you know, one, as women, as young women, we get our rightful place um, at the decision-making table. I always think about Shirley Chisholm and how, you know, we bring our folding chairs. Um, that has certainly been the reality of what mm -hmm. I've been through, right? Like from being told in certain areas, like, you don't look like an elected official. So, so for me, it's about like also shattering those perceptions of Latinas, of women, of young women, um, giving us a rightful place and then making sure that people know that like Upper Manhattan has been a home for so many of us um, and has shaped so many, the lives of so many young people. I just, for me, this campaign is, is, is just an opportunity to demonstrate the love, the affection, the passion that I have for defending a place that I feel has given me a sense of purpose. All right, Carmen De La Rosa, those are my questions. Anything else that you wanted to raise? Well, discuss, obviously, share I wouldn't be a candidate for office if I didn't ask you all to go and find me on the Twitterverse and Instagram and Facebook. Um, please follow the campaign, join us. Stephanie, I appreciate you. You know that you and I um, have survived many battles together um and around each other so i i really appreciate you having this platform as someone who i think is also the future of what you know latina leaders in this city looks like um thank you for sharing this platform with me thank you so much carmen